Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. Good morning, church. You know, in 1980, how many of us were around there? <laughs> that was a year that was significant because that was the year that the World Health Organization declared the death of smallpox. Many of us don't know what smallpox is. If you are my age, you will have a scar on your arm, that smallpox vaccination. And the reason why I remember it is because my father represented Singapore to go and sign on that declaration. And so it was significant because it was a battle, and it's really hard to eradicate disease or infectious disease. Because if you look at us now in 2023, we just got through a major pandemic that shut down our borders, shut down travel, changed our work, it changed our lives. And so we recognized that smallpox was just one battle. And there are many battles that we are facing day after day. And so in the midst of all these battles that don't seem to end, we land today with Daniel chapter 11. It's a whole chapter about many battles, many kings, very detailed series of visions. And some scholars actually look at this passage and they say, you know, these could be uh, visions uh, talking about the end times. And one common thread, however, is that when we look at all these happenings, there is one common thread that the people of God are in danger. In danger because they're not just bystanders, they can be targeted by evil regimes. So at the beginning of the month, we saw the start of the Hamas and Israel war. And we were not expecting it, I believe. And it just underlines the fact that we live in a very dangerous world. What about spiritual battles? You know, as we serve God, spiritual warfare is real. And so some of us, maybe because of our experiences, we get a little bit frightened about serving God. You know, what does it mean? You know, when you face spiritual opposition, it impacts us, it impacts our families, and we may get fearful. So then, how can we as God's people be steadfast in the middle of many battles? And so as we look at Daniel 11, there are two things that I want us to anchor on today. The first is that the enemies of the kingdom are limited by God's appointed time. And the second is that the people of the kingdom are refined until God's appointed time. So allow me to pray for us as we unpack God's word. Father God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And so as we look at your word today, will you open our eyes to the truth that you are in control, even if you seem to be silent. And you are always acting upon the behalf of your people to refine us, to draw us closer and closer to you. And so today I ask that you give us open hearts, open minds, so that we can hear your truth as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the enemies of the kingdom are limited by God's appointed time. 
Now, today I want you to take out your physical Bibles, take out your phones and your Bible app, and let's go to Daniel 11 because we are going to go on a roller coaster ride. Okay? While you're taking out your Bibles and your Bible app, turn to the person next to you and say, I love history. <laughs> okay, we're going to look at a portion of history in Daniel 11, and it's a historical sketch of rulers from the Persian to the Greek Empire. And so if we start at verse 2, it talks about the Persian kings, and then verse 3 talks about Alexander the Great, the mighty king. And then verse 4 talks about what happens after Alexander dies because he didn't have an heir. So in verse 4 it says, His kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven. So what actually happened was that no heir, so his kingdom was broken up and given to four generals. Okay? And of these two kingdoms, two are actually important to us today. The kingdom of the north, which is the Seleucid Empire, under Seleucus at the time, and the kingdom of the south, that's the Egyptian uh, kingdom. Okay? So then after that, if you continue to trace down from verse 5 onwards, you will see that there are accounts of the kings of the south and the kings of the north. Right? And so the first part, verses 5 to 20, is all about these different kings and everyone you know, has got struggles, they're plotting, they've got struggles. But then it all comes towards a very long account about one king, and his name is actually in the Bible labeled as the contemptible person. Contemptible person. Okay, what is contemptible? It's obviously somebody not very good. Nah. Okay, so this is Antiochus Epiphanes, and Daniel 11 actually devotes 15 whole verses about this particular king. And so why is he so important? I believe this contemptible person was the epitome of evil that was opposing God's kingdom. And he, as an oppressor, was a representation of many oppressors that will oppose the kingdom of God over the ages. What were the characteristics of this archvillain? If you look at Daniel 11 verse 21, it said that Antiochus was a usurper because he was someone to whom royal majesty had not been given. And this is because Antiochus was actually not meant to take the throne. It was his nephew Demetrius who was held hostage in Rome, and while he was held hostage there, Antiochus Epiphanes came and he grabbed the throne for himself. Then the second thing is that he's a deceitful flatterer. And verse 21 to 24, it says that he obtained the kingdom by flatteries, he scattered among them, plunder, spoil and goods. And actually, history tells us that what he would do is that he goes in the streets and he's throwing money to the common people. You know, of course, you got money, take lah, right? And then he would have grand banquets for his uh, nobles, for the aristocracy, with huge amounts of gifts and food and entertainment. And thirdly, Antiochus was a ruthless conqueror. In verse 22, it says that armies will be utterly swept away before him and broken. And what is scary is that Antiochus was not satisfied with his kingdom alone. He wanted the kingdom of the south as well. And in his first 
uh, huge effort. He went to Egypt and he managed to conquer almost all of Egypt. He captured King Ptolemy and he set him up as a puppet ruler of the Kingdom of the South. Okay, so he was in control but not over everything. Fast forward today, I wonder who can you think of an evil person in our world today? Maybe easier to think about Marvel villains. But what kind of evil person can you think of? You know, there is another key distinctive of this evil person. Antiochus was a persecutor of the Jews. He wanted to disrupt the influence of the Jews in his own land. And so verse 28 tells us that his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And so what Antiochus actually did was that the high king of that day, his name was Onias III, he replaced him with a brother who was more aligned with the Greeks. And so because of this brother, he was able to get access to the temple treasury to fund his war against Egypt. Now, of course, pious Jews didn't want that. And so there was a rebellion. And in response, Antiochus came and he massacred thousands of Jews because of that rebellion. He also outlawed Judaism and he started to desecrate the temple of Jerusalem. So if you look at verse 31, you will read that he set up the abomination that makes desolate. What does this phrase mean? Actually, what it means was that he set up cultic worship in the temple of Jerusalem where unclean animals like pigs would be slaughtered on the altar, in the middle of where God was supposed to be worshipped as holy God. Can you imagine the horror of an observant Jew living in that time? Because this is not just an enemy who's a very strong enemy. This was an enemy that was out to get them, out to kill them, and out to take away everything that they believed in. And in some ways, I think, you know, in this day and age, we, we live in a different world, a different era. It's a little bit hard to imagine the stresses that they live under. I remember when I was a child, you know, my, my parents, my uncles and aunties used to tell us at Chinese New Year all these stories about the Japanese occupation. And how, you know, because of the atrocities that were happening, so people were very frightened. So whenever the Japanese soldiers came around, they will all run away. They run away, they go and hide in the jungle, okay? And they'll stay in the jungle for as long as they can. And during that time, how do you eat? So you eat fruits, you, you pull out tapioca, you cook it for yourself, and you find a monkey, you kill the monkey and eat the monkey. And so I think as a young child, <laughs> listening to these stories, I was actually very frightened and very intimidated because then I would start thinking, you know, if war happens, and then what would I do? Where can I go? Where can I run away? Because, you know, Singapore, it's water, you know? All around us, there's not very many places we can run away to. But one thing I'm certain, when you are in the middle of the war, it is not unusual to feel frightened. It's not unusual to feel desperate. These are normal and common emotions. But then, how do we, when we are living in our very dangerous world, how do we live without fear? And so I want us to look at an important phrase in our passage today, God's appointed time or the appointed time. 
Now, if you read the whole of Daniel 11, you'll realize that the name of God is not mentioned often. In fact, it's only mentioned twice in the whole passage. But what we see are repeated phrases like time, appointed time. And this reminds us that God is in control of every situation because he's in control of time itself. Let's look at verse 27. The kings of the north and south were bent on doing evil, but to no avail, because the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And so if we know the king of the north and the south, that's Antiochus and Ptolemy, their plans would not succeed because they were subject to God's will, God's plan, God's timing. Let's look at another verse. Verse 24 talks about how he shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. So there's this sense that Antiochus is limited. He's limited by the time that God set for him. And verse 29 says, At the appointed time he shall return and come to the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. Actually, what really happened was that Antiochus tried to go with his armies back to Egypt. This time he wanted the whole place. But what happened is that Rome stepped in. Rome stepped in and they made him withdraw all his troops out of Egypt, and he was not able to do what he wanted. And the second thing was that because of all the atrocities in, in the temple, so the Jews began an uprising called the Maccabean Revolt, and within about 20 over years, the Greeks were expelled out of Jerusalem. And so as we see history unfold, we need to recognize that history belongs to God. It is his story. So what's the significance of Daniel 11? Why is this chapter placed there for our reading? You know, I believe as we read account after account of kings and battles, we need to recognize that God is unfolding his own story. For every king cannot stand in the face of a greater power that is God. And there's not a single plan that can succeed if God chooses to thwart that plan. And so I want us, as you look at your Bibles, just continue to read down the passage because you're going to realize that Daniel writes phrases. Verse 12, he shall not prevail. Verse 14, they shall fall. Verse 17, it shall not stand. Verse 19, he shall stumble and fall. So all these verses are just pointing out that it doesn't matter which king that there is a limit imposed on every one of them by God's purpose, God's timing. And so God is the ruler. Today in 2023, we live in very fearful times because we see wars, we hear rumours of war. And yet, at the same time, we should not be surprised. Because if you turn to the next chapter, Daniel 12 verse 1, it speaks of a troubling time to come. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Not surprising. It is predicted. So in times like this, we need to remember God. Let's pause and think about another king. David, a king and a man after God's own heart. Now David was a man who had many battles. If you know the story of David, you know even to his old age, he was fighting battles. But why did he 
pleased God because they believed God and trusted in Him. If you look at Psalm 31, verse 14 and 15, David writes, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. And so God does not call us to fear. He calls us to trust Him because He is ultimately in control and His plans for every nation, for your life, for my life, are perfect. And so in this theme of His story, we need to understand God has a good plan. But then we also need to understand that God's people are not immune to troubles and God's people can face tough times as well. So the people of God, the people of the kingdom, are refined until God's appointed time. Wendy Wither comments that Antiochus IV's reign separated Jews into two groups, those who forsook the Holy Covenant in favour of Hellenization, and those who were faithful to God and so firmly resisted both Antiochus's charms and threats. Now, what had been happening was that the Jews were being pushed to abandon their faith, either by threat or by temptation. So if they circumcised their sons, or if they observed the Sabbath, or if they even owned the Torah scroll, it's a death penalty. And on top of that, they were made to sacrifice to unclean animals to, to a foreign god. On the other hand, they were being tempted. You get a better life if you follow the Greek lifestyle. It's more modern. It's more attractive. Religion that you have is outdated. And so the Jews of Antiochus' day needed to make a choice. Behind all the battles that we read about in Daniel 11, actually there is a greater battle. And that's the battle for the allegiance of God's people. If you look at verse 35, it says, So that they may be refined, purified, and made white to the end of time, for it still waits the appointed time. So God has an appointed time of refining for all his people. And the people of God are chosen to fight those battles of righteousness versus sin, of faithfulness versus compromise, of obedience versus apostasy. So how does God refine his people? But I think he uses the circumstances in our lives. God doesn't willingly bring pain into our lives, but he uses them to open our eyes so that we make those choices that will draw us closer to him. But you and I know that when we face tough times, what's the first question we ask? Why me? What's the second question we ask? When will this end? Maybe we are asking the wrong questions. Because if you remember Jesus' disciples, you know, after Jesus was uh, crucified, resurrected, you would have thought these guys got it, they understood a bit more. What happened was that they sat Jesus down and they said, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because for them, it was the human kingdom that was at the foremost of their minds. 
I think Jesus was very good. He didn't knock them on the heads. He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so therefore, it reminds us we need to ask the right question. It's not the when question or the why question. It is the what question. What are you trying to teach me, Lord? What do you want me to do in my tough season? So what are tough times for? Daniel 12 verse 3 says that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You know what we are called to do? We are called to shine, to shine for Jesus. So history traces the rise and falls of kings, but God's story, His story, is always to return His people to righteousness, to faithfulness, and a right relationship with Him. And so as believers, we are set apart for God. We are set apart to be pure and to be holy before Him. And we are called to be countercultural in order to shine for Him. 2 Corinthians 7.1 reminds us, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What does being set apart mean then? It means that we choose to love God and obey Him. What God tells you to do, just do it. We choose to deal with sin decisively in our lives. And I think we need to choose not to ignore that sin because that sin is offensive to God who is holy. We choose to forgive. Seven times seven, many times, because He calls us to. We choose to live with integrity even if no one is watching us. And we choose to shine for Jesus, not just like Sunday Christians, we shine for Jesus from Monday to Sunday, week after week. And we need to choose to fear God and not fear people and the circumstances around us. So God has a purpose for us to refine us and to purify us and to, at this appointed time, to make us holy and pure before Him. You know, many of us don't really understand what God is calling us to do. What does it mean to be set apart for God? Allow me to share the story of Rudy Taslim and Lam Bao Yen. They are a Singapore couple. They are 39 years old. And they share a story with salt and light of how they encountered God. And Bao Yan shared this story. I found myself in this encounter so longing, so desiring God until it came to a point I was begging God, if you don't use me, there is nothing I'm living for, nothing I'm interested in, nothing I'm satisfied with. My life is rubbish. And she went on to pray, this life is yours. Spend it however you want it. And so she and her husband chose to be set aside for God's work. But what was this work? You know, last, is it last year? 
the war of Ukraine broke out. And millions, and some people say about 8 million refugees ran out of Ukraine. Rudy and Bao Yan went into Ukraine instead because they felt the call of God to go there and minister. But, you know, they are not missionaries. Huh? They are not professional missionaries or anything. Because Rudy is an architect. His wife is the one looking after the finances of the business. And so when they went in, they didn't know what to do. But the first thing they did was they went to see what are the needs on the ground. So they met a group of pastors who had been praying. Ukrainian pastors had been praying. And these Ukrainian pastors had been praying, God, will you send international aid, international big organizations to come and help us? You know what they got? Small couple from the smallest country, the little red dot. But because of what they knew, their own domain knowledge and what they had, they chose to obey God and they started to build modular homes. And you see that picture on the leftmost side. These are homes built out of um, materials, easy to put together, bomb resistant, able to help them withstand the cold of winter. And they literally, while doing this, they're going into war zone, you know, almost stepping on mines and all that. You can go and read their story. It's in Straits Times and, you know, Salt and Light and all that. But, you know, they, they continue to do this work still. They continue to serve in other areas like bringing in power generators, providing for pregnant widows or men who died in the war. And they chose to spend their life being refined by God, obedient to his call. Now, brothers and sisters, wars are terrible. They are senseless and they are violent. And it's very fearful to be caught up in a war. But the truth is, as the people of God, we don't need to be afraid. Because in the most difficult of times, God is at work in us to refine us and to bring us to places where we can shine for him. And today, you may not be called to go to Ukraine, okay? You may not be called to go to the Middle East or into, into places with disasters and so on. But I want to remind us, there are many hopeless people in this world. And you could be there as a listening ear. There are people who may have physical needs, and there are people with a lot of pain and spiritual needs as well. But you can be that person to shine into their lives. But, you know, for many of us, we struggle with even this. We are too busy, too bogged down with our lives and our own problems. And maybe you feel you don't have enough resources. How could God use me? But will you allow God to do that refining work in you? to choose His will and His purposes in your life. Because that small step of faith to say yes to God could mean allowing God to use you to be a miracle to somebody. And so today God reminds us, you are my people. I call you. And so will you purify yourself in order that you may serve me. And so I'd like to invite the musicians to lead us in this song. It's a very old, very familiar song, Purify My Heart. And I'd like us to stand. Let's stand together. And let's sing this song as a prayer of response to God. 
to choose to be set apart for Him, that He'll purify our hearts and make us like precious, precious materials in His hands. Purify my heart Let me be as gold And precious silver Purify my heart Let me be as gold Pure gold Refine as My heart's one desire is to be today's message I felt the Lord reminding me that there are many of us who are fearful because of the season that we are in the wars may seem far away but there are things that we fear in our lives and we fear people, circumstances but today the Lord calls us to recognize that the question is not when will it end, the question is what do you call us to do? Because God has an appointed time when He will sort it out for us. But He calls us first to purify ourselves, our lives, our desires, our choices. And so as we sing the second stanza to this um, song, can I invite us? Let's lift our hands as a response to the Lord. And truly us, He will purify us. We need to be the people of God, pure and holy before Him. Purify my heart, cleanse me from within, and make me holy, purify. Cleanse me from my sin, deep within, refine and spine. My heart's one desire is to be whole. Set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy. Set apart for 
I choose to be. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have a part in your story. Your story tells us that you are in control. You are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we do not need to be afraid because you, at your appointed time, will bring our chapter to a close in the most glorious way because you reign. And so today we ask, Lord, we want to honour you with our lives so that we can shine for you. Will you refine us? Purify us? Your people. Give us courage to follow you in all our difficult circumstances. Help us not to be afraid because we know that you are king. Set us apart. Set us apart, Lord so that we can shine for you. And all the people of God together say, Amen. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.